0: Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church Podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. We believe that there's power in our words, that we can speak life over things in our life that we want to see change, that we believe God wants to change in our hearts and in our lives. We're going to dive in in a second, but stay standing as we kind of kick off. Uh, this third week, I think it is, in this series called Hello Freedom with our theme verse. Galatians 5.1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I love that. I love that because there's no ulterior motives. That means there, there's no greater end to the means that he just wants you to be free. Why, Colby? Because he loves you. And he loves you, he's des- I don't want anybody in this room or watching online not to realize and sit in the fact today that God loves you just as you are right where you are. He says, so stand firm then. You know what that means? That we have a participatory part to play in our freedom. Meaning, yes, Jesus did the heavy lifting on the cross when he gave his life for our sins, but we have a responsibility to stand on the promises that he's given us. So stand firm on the promises. Stand firm, it says, and do not be burdened and submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know what You know what? I, my prayers for everyone in this room? None of us would go backwards. I and mean, if you've experienced any kind of freedom in your life that, that God's doing anything, that we wouldn't go backwards. I, I know sometimes we have to take two steps back in order to, to move ahead. But I'm just praying once we get a taste of freedom and the freedom that God has for us that none of us, would ever want to submit again to a yoke of slavery. God, we're just praying today that as we open up your word, God, that it would engage our hearts and our minds. God, that we would leave here changed and different, that you would put your finger on areas of our life, God, that we need to repent for, that we need to find freedom and restoration in. God, I just pray that you would do what only you can do. Help us to get out of the way today so that you can speak through us. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Thank you, band, for leading us. Hey, I need you guys to take notes quick. I have a lot of ground to cover, and this is going to be, like for those of you that are like, let's get it deep, let's get it deep. This is gonna be for the deep sheep in the room, all right? We're just gonna kind of go there a little bit as we unpack what I started a couple weeks ago called gardenology, meaning that Uh, we're going to talk about the Garden of Eden and the first three chapters of God's Word. If we don't get it right, there's a good chance we'll get the rest of it wrong. And so we need to make sure we have a good foundation. And today we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, sin. I I don't know what kind of response I was expecting. Sin we're gonna talk about sin i grew up as a pk i grew up as a church kid anybody grew up going going to church come on like old school yeah yeah. i grew up going to church you know every week sunday sunday night wednesday night you know kind of all the time whenever the church was open we were there and we talked a lot about sin a lot and in fact I, we talked about it but i really never grabbed a a full meaning of what sin was. All I knew is that sin was bad and that it was the evil and everything that I wanted to do was sin. Anybody else? Right? It just, that's the way that it, that it seemed that I heard so many messages about what God was against, not what God was for. I heard so many messages as a child about behavior modification. And I heard very few balancing statements on the grace of God and the mercy of God and the, the goodness of God. And I had such a problem as a child growing up, like behaving right. And, and, and the problem of following all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. In fact, whenever I saw a, a thou shalt not in God's word, I immediately thought, I, I think I should try that, right? Because that's my, that's just the rebel spirit that I had inside of me. And so I just came to that place that I would wrestle all the time with if God's word, if God is a God of do's and don'ts, or if God is the the God of don't say these things and and don't do those things that that a lot of humans are interested in doing and that I'm kind of interested in doing, then he must not like me at all. I kind of arrived to that conclusion when when I was younger. So here's what I did as a teenager, I went prodigal. I said, all right. And I wasn't rebelling against my family. I didn't have daddy issues. I wasn't rebelling against the church. Here's what I said. I said, because of an incomplete, um, teaching on the subject of sin, I just said, all right, God, you just must not like me because I don't think I can follow your expectations. I don't think I can do what your words wants me, wants me to do. And since I don't think I can do it, I'm just going to do my own thing. In fact, uh, I'm not going to pretend to play church. I'm not going to pretend to get it right. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that way, God, we're both better off because I'm not attaching you to my mess. Anybody else kind of feel that way? All right. Six of you. All right, cool. Um, The rest of you, you're awesome. You're perfect. You know, in fact, we should cancel this message and just talk about pride and self-righteousness. That's what we should do. But for better or worse, whatever. And we're going to see when we get to the end of this thing, we're going to talk about the issue of sin. Because you can't discuss the issue of freedom and ignore the issue of sin. In fact, it's impossible. We can't walk in the freedom that God has for us if we don't address early on in our life and often through our life, multiple times in our life, the issue of of sin. And so let me give us a quick ground rule for this today. This is what we call an all-skate. All right, this is, you know, you've heard of like couple skate and single skate. This is an all skate, meaning this applies to every single one of us. In fact, sin and what we're going to talk about is the most unifying characteristic of every single person in this room. We're all included in this. Romans 3.23 says this for how many have sinned for, come on, all have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of The glory of God and because of that we forfeited the ability to receive and accept the glory of God unless that is of course a higher power is going to gain that back for us which he does in the form of Jesus it says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but here's the good news for the follower of Jesus all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ so if you're here today and you've said yes to following Jesus you've crossed the line of faith you've received that free gift of salvation when he gave his life for you on the cross and no matter what you've done no matter what kind of sin you're in no matter what you're currently struggling with you are justified that's great news the way I learned it growing up was justified means just as if I had never sinned and so that's the good news so I want us to to sit in the beautiful reality of that if you're a follower of Jesus if you're not I'm praying today is your day And I'm praying that today you have an encounter with God. He speaks directly to your heart. But let's sit in the beautiful reality that we are justified as followers of Jesus. While at the same time, I want us to sit in the the tension of this very real issue of sin. And before we go back to the Garden of Eden, the writer of Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since you and I are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, listen to this language, Throw off, cast off, like rip off, be vigilant with everything that hinders you. And then here's our word and the sin that so easily entangles you. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, some of you might be thinking, Colby, why are we still talking about sin? When Jesus took care of the sin issue on the cross, well, here's why sin is like the Walking Dead. We got any Walking Dead fans? It is like zombies, really. Functionally, it's dead, but practically, it's still trying to destroy you. Positionally, if you are in Christ, you are, you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. But, but practically speaking, we have an enemy that his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to, to take you out. He's the author of sin. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us, hey, sin isn't messing with your eternal situation but it really is jacking up your current situation it really is messing with your life here and now this is the sin that so easily entangles us that we got to throw it off think of it this way if there's an amazing sprinter like um Usain Bolt you know who Usain Bolt is? is It Usain Usain I don't even know how you say it but let's just say that guy that was created to run fast. I mean, everything about him, he's ripped. I mean, it's just amazing. He was built for speed, one of the fastest men that's ever you know been on the planet. Think about it this way. If he was running the race wrapped in chains, like wrapped you know, in his whole body, he, there is no way he would get the time and the 100 meter dash that he was intended to get, that he was created to get. He would fall so short. Right? And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling us that that's what sin does. It slows down the divine purposes and plan that God has for your, your life, will fall short of God's original intention for us. And I don't want that to happen to one person in this room. I don't want for any of us in this room, including myself, not to realize our full potential. And some of you are playing so far below the level of talent you've been given because of entangled sin, are you with me? So we gotta talk about it, we gotta deal with it. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, so here's what you do. Don't fix your eyes on your sin. But how many of you know, that's what we gravitate towards in all the ways that we fall short. We spend so much time and energy thinking about the ways that we mess up and get it wrong. He says, don't do that instead fix your eyes on on jesus don't fix your eyes on the thing that's trying to kill you fix your eyes on the one who's already saved you and sets you free because he's the answer to the sin issue not you you don't have the strength you don't have the power in and of yourself so we fix our eyes on jesus the author of our faith so let's go back to the garden if you have your bible genesis chapter 3 and we're going to talk about, first of all, the, the anatomy of sin, how sin works. And I'm not going to do a comprehensive job on this uh, with the time that I have, but I want to point us to one particular thing that the enemy always uses uh, when you and I sin in every situation so that we recognize it. How many of you know we can't deal with the, the disease unless we diagnose it? And so we need to be able to diagnose what the problem is. So if you're new to church, uh, here's a great definition of sin. Write this down. It simply means falling short of God's original intent. It's an archery term. It means you missed the target. That's it. It's not this evil, awful, terrible thing. I mean, it can be, but it just simply means you're not living up to your full potential. You're not living up to, you know, what God's created you for. You've missed the target. You, you've missed the, the bullseye. And that's, again, why this, why this is an all-skate because none of us hit the bullseye 100% of the time. And so we gotta start with the anatomy of sin and then we're gonna talk about the antidote of sin. So I'm calling this the uh, sin AA. All right, here we go, sin AA. Anatomy and antidote, back to the garden. Colby, why are we starting in the garden? Because we need to start where sin was first uh, introduced into the equation. It says this in verse one of Genesis three, now the serpent, This is the the devil, by the way, masquerading as a snake. And I don't fully understand all the implications of that. Um, I just don't get it or or I'd explain it to you, uh, but I believe it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Look at Eve's response. She gets it at first. She says uh, to the serpent, no, we can eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. In other words, all the other trees, you know, have edit, but there's one tree that you must not touch it or you will die. Listen to the enemy's response. You will not certainly die. And I said a couple of weeks ago, if you missed it, uh, it was kind of the opening to this, this study over, over the garden, that the best way to sabotage authentic freedom in your life is to take lightly the holy commands of God. Like to take lightly what God wants you, wants you to do, what he's written to us in his word. And I don't, I'm not saying that to be hellfire and damnation. I'm not saying that to rebuke you. I'm saying that to remind you that we can't have true freedom the true freedom that we were created to walk in, not pseudo freedom, not freedom, you know, that that we get from, from self-medicating or the freedom that we get from, from doing things to compensate, you know, and to feel good about ourselves. But I'm talking about true, deep soul freedom, the freedom that Jesus says you and I can have. And by the way, I'm on a journey for that. Like, because he said, "I, I could have that. And if we want that, then we must quickly learn to recognize the voice of the enemy when he says, hey, 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 is that really that big of a deal? Did God really say that? He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now we're going to dissect the specifics of how sin has power in our life. Starting in verse six, it says this, when the woman saw, somebody say saw. Saw. You know what that tells us right there? She was close enough to the sin issue to be tempted by it. Can I ask you a question? Is there an apple in your life that you are close enough to right now that looks good on the outside? that looks like, you know, it can offer something, it promises you you something that you're close enough to, that you're just one step away from, from, from taking a bite out of it, or you're currently participating in it? Like, is there something in your life right now? The Bible tells us that sin is fun for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. And the woman saw it. And so the first thing I want you to understand and write down about sin is that sin is almost always an issue of proximity. Is that not true? I mean, for me, it's always been that this is the story of my life that I will always try to get up as close to the line as possible without going over or try to, I think I'm strong enough to get as close to, to the, the line because I've always been so fascinated and intrigued when someone says, hey, you shouldn't do that. I immediately think, I think I should try that, right? Come on. I think I should, it's, again, it's that rebel spirit inside of, of me because I believe I'm strong enough to, for, to decide for myself. If I should try it or not, I believe I'm strong enough to get as close to the line as I possibly can to see maybe this is something I should do or not do. But how many of you know, if you're like me and you struggle with that, that never ends well, it's not about as getting as close to the line as you can. It's about staying far away from the line and staying inside the boundaries God has given to us. It says this, when the woman saw, so the first thing on the anatomy of sin, write it down is proximity. Proximity proximity and she saw it because she was close to it. The fruit of the tree was here's number two, good for food. The second thing is this, it was practical. The devil loves to point you and me toward deadly things that appear practical, that appear like it's just, it's, it's, it's rational. And I'm going to give you one example. And you're not gonna like me for this one, but that's the risk I take because I'm still your pastor. In fact, I can't really dictate how you receive something, but I can dictate how I deliver it. And I'm delivering God's word, not like a buffet for you to pick and choose the parts that you like for your life. The one thing I thought of, the one illustration when it says it was good for food, it was practical because it's happening like never before, that's living together living together before you get married it's practical can we be honest in church today it's practical colby i still want to be affectionate you know with a woman i still want to you know have quality time you know i still want to you know you know have sex with someone i want to live with them we're we're gonna we can pay the bills together with all without the, the the promise of covenant involved or colby because i saw my parents you know get divorced You know, and I swore that would never happen to us, so it seems practical. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rearrange the rules that God has given me so it fits my lifestyle. The woman saw it was good for food, that this made sense, that it was practical. It just makes sense. After all, Colby, what what if we realize, after being together, that we're not compatible? Like, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it? Come on. After all, we're the wise ones. We're the wise ones, are we not? We, we, we might be saving ourselves from, from broken hearts and, and, and few, hurt down the road. Like we're the one being smart. And listen, I'm not, I'm not telling you this. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the word secular, but there are secular stats that say this, seven out of 10 marriages that start by living together and then divorce. Seven out of 10 now, I'm not trying to speak death over, over your marriage because that's where a lot of you are. You'd say, Colby, well, that's how we started. Hey, listen to me. In Jesus' name, break those stats. Are you with me? Break that stat. Don't be that stat. But I refuse to lie to those people in the room that aren't there where you are, that aren't in that situation yet, and say, yeah, go ahead. Move in together because for whatever reason, seven out of 10, it destroys marriages. It might seem practical. It might seem like it was good for food, but it never ends well. And, and again, there are dozens of examples of this. I didn't come here to, to single you out and talk specifically about your situation. I just know God's going, hey, 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 that right there, that living together, that's a good looking apple. But in the end, it's going to lead to death. In the end, it's going to kill you. And so he says, this, keep reading. It says, when she saw, Proximity. It was good for food. It was practical and pleasing to the eye. Write this down. Pleasurable. Come on, let's be honest about sin. It often looks practical, but how many of you know it always has a degree of pleasure associated with it? Is that true? I heard a pastor once say, he said, sin is no fun. I'm like, that sounds like a you problem because you're not doing it right. It's fun. If, if, if humans know anything, we know how to have fun. I mean we know how to you know, we love pleasure in any kind of, of form. The problem is there are endless amounts of things that are, are pleasures that steal, kill and destroy when we do them in the wrong way. And God says, there's a way for you to enjoy that pleasure. There's a way that I've given that to you, but the way you're about to do it that, that, that I created it for That's That's not what I intended. And God's boundaries aren't there to keep us from something. God's boundaries exist to keep something from us. Like what, Colby? Like heartache. Like corrosion of our soul. Like pain, like suffering. So she saw that the apple was, was pleasing to the eye, that it would give her pleasure. So why wouldn't I eat this? And God's going, hey, there's a thousand other trees in the garden I put there that you could enjoy, but that one right there, that one tree is above your pay grade. So don't touch it. And then the next thing it says, we keep learning in verse six, and she also saw the apple was desirable for gaining wisdom. You know what that is? It's powerful. And I don't understand the full psychology behind it, but humans are notoriously intoxicated with this thing called power. We just want, we want power. And getting smarter and wiser, you know, that's all great, but it's never wise to begin to usurp the authority of God, to usurp the boundaries that God has given us. When we begin to think that we know better, when we begin to think in the season of the world that we are in, living in that our ways are better, that God's way is, is irrelevant, that I know now better than, than God does, can I tell you, that's never going to end well. That's never gonna give you what you want. If it would, I wouldn't preach on it. But it's never going to, to give you what you want. So she saw, because of proximity, that it was practical, it was pleasurable, and it was powerful. That's the anatomy of sin this is how it first entered. It goes on to say, so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Awesome. Adam, way to go, bro. Who was with her and he ate it. You know why he did that? That's okay. Don't apologize. Cause sin loves buddies. And for some of you, freedom in this next season of your life is going to be as difficult and yet as simple as rearranging your social circles. That, That old proverb adage that says, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, has never been more true. So much truth behind it. Do you know why? Because misery loves company. But, but hey, let's not just be negative. You know what else loves company? Holiness. Godliness. Come on, those things love company as well. Because people have this ability to influence one another, to, to you know, direct each other's decisions. And so it's never more important that you, you have a strategy for who you place in your social circles. Goes on to say this, verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is, this is what we do as humans. Whenever we feel shame, whenever we feel guilt in some area of our life, what do we do? We try to hide it. We try to, to cover it. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they start to do the most destructive thing you and I will ever do. It says, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden nothing will sabotage your freedom faster than hiding from the presence of God. And, and why would you? Like he created you, he, he designed you. He's the one who gave you a purpose and a plan that God doesn't have bad things for you. Like if I read this right, he has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But can I tell you, it's really hard to walk in a hope and a future when you're hiding. Like some of you gotta stop hiding from God because of shame and guilt. And so God says this to them in verse nine, he starts asking some questions of them that he already knows the answer to. He says, where are you? Does God need to know the answer? He knows where they are, right? He knows where they are, but he's asking because they need to be honest because honesty is an entry point to freedom. You can't find freedom if you're not willing to be honest about where you are. You've heard this, you're only as sick as your secrets. You maintain those secrets, you maintain that sickness. So God says, where are you? And they respond in verse 10, we hid from you because we heard you coming. And we were ashamed because we were naked. And so God asked them another question. Look at it, he already knows the answer to it. He asked them this, who told you that? Like who told you you were were naked And he's asking that for the same reason he would ask you and I, he's asking Adam and Eve because he wants them to say, well, it wasn't you, God. God's saying, it wasn't me. I'm not not the one who told you you were naked. He's reminding them, I'm not the author of shame. In fact, if you're new to this whole church thing, you need to know God is not the author of shame. He's the antithesis of shame. God does not cure shame with more shame. Are you with me? He doesn't pile shame on you because you feel ashamed. That's what we do as parents sometimes. When our kids mess up or, or when our spouse mess up, we, we, we pile shame on them. We try to make them feel shame as long as they can because we've got to nip that behavior in the bud so they don't do it again. We want them to feel shame. We get so nervous about it when what they really need to realize from us uh, about our maker is that God doesn't cure shame with shame. That's not how he does it. He shares it with grace and mercy. He's the next question from God. Look at, it. he says, have you eaten the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And again, God knows the answer to the question, but he's asking them because you can't be free if you refuse to own your mistakes. You gotta be willing to own it. And God's like, I wanna see if they're gonna own it. So he says, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam says this, look at this, this is awesome, Adam. Verse 12, the woman, you put here, gave me some fruit and I ate it. Like, I'm sorry, ladies, you deserve better. You really do. Like the audacity, right? The, the capacity of the human nature to, to sin and to, to blame shift. And we, we all would do it. I mean, we're all, we all have the same disease, not just to blame it on someone else, but look, what he says, you put here, God. He's like, where are you at, God? This is your fault. God, if you, if you would have, God, some of you are so stuck in your, your situation because you keep playing the, where were you God card. Some of you keep playing the, the victim. You've refused to own up to your part in it. So Adam literally says, he says, the woman you put here, this was your bad decision because she crazy. Like I was, I was doing my garden thing. I was tending the garden. I was naming the animals. I was cultivating the earth and she called, she was sinning and stuff and she called me over and if she offered me fruit and, and I, because I'm scared of her, I took it and I ate it. Come on guys. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, I've been there. I know that feeling. I'm terrified of her. Let me check it out. Eve does the same thing. But she's just a little more sly about it because you women are a little smarter than us guys. Verse 13, the Lord said to the woman, uh, your turn, ladies, what is this you've done? Look at her answer. Devil made me do it. <laughs> devil. Did. See, you women are just a little more naturally spiritual than we are. You're like, devil did it. There's a demon. There's a whatever. You know, we got to pray about it. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. It's his fault. And so I ate. Yes, he deceived you. That's true. But God's like, guess what? You ate. So let's talk about you ate. Because you're not in control of what the serpent does, but you know who you are in control of? You ate. Yes, there's an enemy that wants to destroy you through temptation and sin. But you will never find freedom by playing the devil made me do it card by playing the the victim card. Freedom is found in owning our mistakes. So that's the anatomy of sin. Let's let's finish with the antidote of it. Let's finish with how God deals with our sin. Let's finish with how he deals with it, not just uh, eternally, but practically, like daily, like on a day-to-day basis, like a a father would deal with it. How does he deal with our sin? Two things God God does. I need you to write these down because the first one though is tough. The first one is not beautiful. The first one is not romantic, Um, but it is essential. It is equally as redemptive as the second part. And here's the first thing: God gives consequences. Now we don't like that, but God gives consequences. A few verses past our our theme verse in Galatians five, it says this: In Galatians six seven, a man reaps what he sows. There's consequences. Whatever you sow in the flesh, you know, to please your flesh, you'll reap destruction, but whatever's sown in the spirit, you know, you'll reap eternal life. God gives consequences temporarily for our sin. Now, is Jesus taking care of the ultimate consequences? Absolutely, and he took care of that the moment he gave his life for you and me on the cross, but God still gives consequences in the moment, not to punish you, but to prepare you for redemption to prepare you, to, to restore you, to bring your back. I'm not gonna read it because of time, but I'd love for you to go back and read this in Genesis. What God does next after, after they don't own up to what they did, after they blame shift, after he gives out uh, consequences, he's like, all right, they're not in a place to, to, to own it. They're not in a place to be fully freed from this yet. And they're not going to take responsibility, so I'm going to give them consequences for their action. And the consequence isn't to punish them, it's to hold them accountable so they don't ever do this again. And so God says, Adam, you were designed to work the earth. You were designed to cultivate it. You were designed to tend to the animals. You're still going to do that. You're still going to do what you were designed to do, but now it's going to come with some sweat. That's what he says. It's going to come with thorns and thistles. There's going to be a little sweat equity. Let's bring this up to, to modern you know, terminology. Hey, guys, when, whenever you go to work, there's always going to be some logistical nightmare you have to deal with. There's always going to be some issue. There's always going to be something that's, that's trying to rob your joy and steal your joy. There's always going to be a problem that you have to work through. You're going to go home tired, and you were never created to go home tired. But this is going to be a, a, a consequence. And I'm not doing that to punish you, right? But God doesn't punish them. Ultimately, he punishes Jesus. We're going to talk about that. And as he's giving these consequences, guess what? He curses Satan. He says, hey, you're going to be cursed to the ground forever. In fact, I'm going to send another and you're going to strike his heel. But he's going to crush your head. You are cursed, enemy. But he does not curse Adam and Eve. He does not curse his image Bearers, but he does curse some of their activities. He says, Adam through thorns and thistles. It's gonna be hard work. Eve, you know, the whole mother of all living, now there's gonna be pain associated with that. Wasn't meant to be that way, but now childbirth, there's gonna be some, some pain. And so he doesn't curse his image bearers. Why? Because he knows ultimately the curse they brought upon themselves that he's going to, to put his son in that place instead that he's gonna take that curse. So God doesn't curse them, but he curses some amenities. And so what he says next in Genesis seems like just a bit of information to get to the good stuff, but it's not, this is so important. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve. So this is after, after they sin, after they don't own up to it, after God gives them these, these consequences, He says he names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. So even after their moment of failure, you know what Eve is still known for? Her original identity. God doesn't change that. Yeah, she loses some amenities. Yeah, they get banished east of, east of Eden. Yeah, they're not going to have it as good as they, they could have it in that moment. But eternally, you know, it's going to get restored back to them. But right now, he says, some of those, those, those problems that cost you Right in the first place that this thing called death came in, you're going to forfeit some of those, but you know what? You're never going to forfeit your identity, your identity that you have. You're never going to forfeit that Eve. You're still going to be the mother of all living. Now it's just going to be, you know, through the pain of childbirth. See ladies, what it was meant to be like back in the day it was meant to be like this, Adam, Adam, I think it's time. Bloop. (laughs) I feel great. Let's go back to the garden and work, right? That's what it was supposed to be. He says, not anymore. But now your identity, you know, doesn't get forfeited. And that's great news. Even on your worst day, in your worst mistakes that you've made, the worst battle that you feel like you're facing against sin, like... Like God's redemptive goodness for us is maybe he, he allows you to sit in some frustration for a season for some amenities to be taken away. And when that happens, by the way, the first question you should always ask is this, is this a consequence that God is allowing me to sit in for, for a season to hold me accountable to never going back to that thing, to never taking that fruit. But the next thing the Lord does, listen to this. This is, this is the beautiful part. In verse 21, and this is, this is the second most fundamental thing God does, and this is the romantic, this is the poetic, this is bring out the key player. What's up, brother? Because we all know the Lord is where the Nord is. So this is, this is the shading. This is the part we all love and look forward to. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And what did he do? He them. Write this down. God gives clothing. We love the clothing. We love to take care of my shame, hide my shame, cover it, cover it up. And we also love the fact that this right here is an overshadowing of what God does through his son Jesus in giving his life for us. Because the Bible says this, that he takes, he takes an animal and theologians believe it's a spotless lamb. And he sacrifices it, and he makes garments to cover Adam and Eve, to cover their shame, to cover their guilt. And that's the same thing that Jesus would do for you and me. And he gave his life on the cross, and we go, yeah, and that's beautiful. I love, I love the the clothing covering our sins. This is beautiful part. But when we talk about the consequences, like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to, I don't want to hear that side of it. Let's talk more about, about the clothing, but don't miss this consequence is equally as redemptive as clothing. Like the two have to go together because if, if, if God just gives Adam and Eve clothing without giving them a consequence, you know what that breeds? That breeds idolatry. That breeds self-righteousness. That breeds pride. It's like, hey, I can just do whatever I want. And if God just gives gives, um, consequence without giving them clothing, you know what that breeds? Shame. Guilt. I feel like I can never get better. I feel like I'll never be whole. I feel like I'll never get past this issue. I'll never be be free. And So he has to give them, them both consequences. God's saying, I don't accept what you did. And by the way, you shouldn't either. You shouldn't accept it. But clothing is God saying, I fully accept who you are. And your original design that I have for you is never gonna get taken away from you. But in my divine mercy, I might let you sit in a season of frustration long enough. In fact, the New Testament word for consequences, the word discipline, Hebrews 12, four, six. This is kind of where we started today. And I want to finish with this because freedom isn't found in the removal of consequences. I need you to know that freedom is found in the removal of condemnation and, and shame and guilt. Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is, is discipline for those who are in Christ Jesus. In your struggle against sin, Hebrews twelve four, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because look at it, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves did you hear that consequence is a beautiful act of redemption it's a beautiful act of 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 restoring us back to god he's going to allow us to sit in some tension in our life without some of the amenities that maybe we thought we deserved god why aren't you healing this marriage why aren't you healing this relationship god why aren't my finances where where they should be he'll let you sit in some tension as a reminder to hold you accountable to the decisions that we've made not to punish you. God doesn't punish us as his image bears. He puts that on his son. There's a massive difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is banishment without ever a, a thought of return. Discipline, discipline is a divine loss for a season. To remind you and I, I never wanna go back to that thing. I never wanna go back to that apple. That's what discipline is. Discipline causes us to sit in a degree of frustration to say, you know what? I hate that sin. I never want to do it again. Not for us to to talk lightly about it, but for us to get to that place where it's like, man, I'm so mad at myself. Never want to go back to that thing I wrote on the wall. Some of you wrote pornography on that, that wall. Discipline is, is you saying, you know what? Not just I, I regret that season of pornography. It's you get to the place to say, I hate pornography. I hate it. Never want to go back to that. Because I know what it does. I know how it destroys hearts. I know how it corrodes souls. And if, if I can help any one person come out of where they are and let them know I'll stand on a rooftop and I'll shout. Don't do it. That's the place he wants us to get to. That's where we find find freedom. He says, my son, don't make lightly of the Lord's disciplines. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves and he chastens everyone. He escapes as a, uh, he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. And if you're not disciplined and everyone, again, this is unifying, everyone undergoes discipline. Then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons or daughters at all. Moreover, we've had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more so we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? I'm almost done. They disciplined us, our earthly fathers, he's talking about, for a little while as they thought best. But here it is. God disciplines us for our good to do something to restore us in order that we may may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, here's the good news. Look at what it produces, a harvest of righteousness and peace. You know what I call those two words? Freedom. Freedom, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained buy it. Listen, when God's disciplined you, disciplining you for a season in your life and you want to shake your fist at God, maybe say, is this a consequence? You're letting me sit in for a season so that I never want to go back to that drug. I never want to go back to that relationship. I never want to go back to that sexual addiction. I never want to go back to whatever it is that I hate it. I hate what it did to me. But ultimately know that he doesn't just give you consequence, he gives you covering. And so we can rest in the confidence and boldly approach. Here's here's what the Bible tells us, that we can, in our confidence, boldly approach the throne of grace. You know why it's called grace? Because if if it was called condemnation, no one would run to the throne of it. But God wants you to run to the throne of it. Let's do this. Would you stand to your feet and bow your head and close your eyes and just let this be a holy moment right now. And I just have two questions for you. One is this, with every head bowed, every eye closed, is there an apple in your life that you are in close proximity to or you are actively engaged in that you know God said don't touch that it ultimately leads to death? Is there an apple in your life that seems practical? That you're like, it just makes sense and you've been justifying it time and time again. But in the end, it leads to death. doesn't seem pleasurable. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. But again, it leads to death. It separates us from God keeps us from, from hitting the mark and reaching our full potential. Like, what are you What are you trying to run your life race towards, but you are so entangled by weight of chains that today is the day you need to throw them off in Jesus' name.
1: God, I pray for everyone
0: in this room as we just enter into a time of worship and, and having you speak to us, God and we would just get our hearts right, get our our lives right, receive the consequence that you've given to us in the season that we're in, but also God, thank you that we don't have to stay there, that you cover us. We're gonna come before you today, right now, even in the middle of our shame, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of, of the guilt that we feel, we can still come before you and receive grace and mercy and covering and peace and righteousness and freedom in Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church Podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to ElevateChurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.